Welcome to This Week in Photo. Bandwidth for this podcast is brought to you by CashFly at C-A-C-H-E-F-L-Y dot com. This episode of TWIP is brought to you by Carbonite Online Backup. Automatic and secure backup for your home and small business computer files starting at only $59 a year. Try it free at Carbonite.com and use the offer code TWIP and get two bonus months with purchase. This week on TWIP, recapping the Google Plus conference, Facebook launches its own camera app, Hasselblad lowers the price of medium format, and an interview with macro photographer Don Komarechka. It's Wednesday, May 30th, 2012, and this is TWIP. And welcome back to TWIP. I am your host, Frederick Van Johnson. Joining me today on the show are Miss Sarah France and Mr. Dave Dugdale. Hey, guys. How are you doing? Excellent. All right. Um, first, you know, Dave, welcome to, um, to This Week in Photo. This is your first time kind of on the show. I interviewed you before, and we'll talk about that a little bit later, and that has not even gone public yet, so... This is the first chance that this audience, I'm sure there's some overlap between this audience and your audience, but the first time that they've got it, had a chance to meet you, so thank you for coming on. Well, thank you for ha- having me. This is, this is very exciting for me. Yeah, cool. Thank you. And also, Ms. Sarah France, who is a veteran Twipper. She's on the show as well. Hey, Sarah, how are you doing? Good. How are you? I'm doing good. I'm doing good. What, do you, what have you been up to over there? Shooting weddings. It's wedding season. <laughs> Memorial Day? Are you kidding? It's like double Wait, wedding weekend. People, people, like, oh, school me on that because Memorial Day is not typically like a festive time of year <laughs> that people would say, hey, I want to get married on a day that we're honoring our fallen soldiers. You know? <laughs> yeah, well, they actually get married on Saturday and Sunday usually. And yeah. then it's just a it's a three day weekend to them. They're like, oh, you're gonna be hanging out and have the day off. So it's a great day for a Sunday wedding, a great weekend for a Sunday wedding, because yeah. then people don't have to be at work the next day, and well, especially when they're traveling and stuff. So yeah, we had a couple fantastic weddings. One at the Ritz in Laguna, and another one out at a winery in Temecula. So um, it was a great weekend. Okay, guys, so before we jump in, I just want to give a recap of what we're going to be talking about on the show. Um, first of all, we're going to be talking about Google Plus and the Google Plus Photographers Conference that they just had and that I was involved in. Also, Facebook's new camera app, we're going to talk about that. They've gotten some flack about that, so I want to chat about that a little bit. Also, Hasselblad has dropped the prices on their medium format cameras or on some of their medium format cameras. So I want to talk about drop, how they drop them from the stratosphere to the, you know, just slightly out of reach for most of us. And then um, why are some photographers stealing from each other? So we're going to go into that. that. That's going to be our feature discussion. And then also for the podcast episode, there'll be an insert of an interview I did with Mr. Don Komarechka. He's a macro photographer up in Canada, and he and I sat down for a bit to talk about the ins and outs of macro photography, photography specifically as it applies to his, you know, he likes, he does all kinds of macro photography, but he's become known recently for his snowflake photography and how he captures them. So one of the questions I asked him in that interview was, how do you photograph, 
I mean, it's obvious. How do you photograph a piece of, like, fragile snowflake that's going to melt as soon as you get close to it? Anyway, so that's a very interesting interview, so definitely check that out. Um, so, guys, let's dive right into this. So, the Google Plus conference, have you, did you guys get a chance to go to that, Sarah, or, or Ms. Dugdale over there? I didn't go, but I watched, um, I watched some of the keynotes online. Um, it was actually kind of interesting because you had this crowd of people in the audience, and it almost, I almost felt sorry for them because it felt very disconnected. And I guess you were there, so you could probably speak to this. But mm -hmm. when I was watching the keynote, you'd got the people on stage and the people online that they're talking to, but it felt like the people in the audience were very disconnected from the whole event. But I'm sure a lot of people go to these conferences to meet other people. I'm sure it was, it was fine, but it just from watching it online, it felt very disconnected. Oh, because you were you were sort of watching it in the hangout, yeah, um, and you, metaphor you or environment, and then there's a studio audience, and then there, yeah, yeah, I can see yeah. how you see that. But no, they it didn't really feel like that at the conference itself. It, it felt really, you know, connected, and it was for me, it was a little bit different than a lot of other conferences that you go to because I don't know if this is because it was this was the first one and no one really knew what to expect or what, but it seemed to be. And I heard this from other attendees, too. It seemed to be like a whole lot of uh, networking and interaction, almost kind of like, Sarah, you know, like WPPI. When you go to WPPI, it just feels like, you know, hey, it's almost like a family reunion and everybody knows each other. And yeah. This one was no one knew, you know, some people knew each other, but there wasn't a whole lot of, hey, I saw you last year because there was no last year. <laughs> It yeah. was just more of, hey, you're a photographer, you use, you use Google+, Plus. what do you do? You know, and there was, there was a whole lot of that. Now, Sarah, did you get a chance to watch any of the, the online hangouts or anything? Um, just the one that I was in. <laughs> <laughs> the one I dragged you into? <laughs> yeah, which was yeah. really cool. I mean, it was Guy Kawasaki. Am I saying his last name right? You are, yes. Um, and he was really fascinating and, and really cool, but I actually had the complete opposite experience as, as you did um, because I felt like I was disconnected because I was on the Hangout, mm -hmm. and he was really connecting with the audience. Yeah, so I think it yeah. just depended on the speaker, you know? Yeah. So we were in the Hangout, and we were just kind of hanging out there. Yeah, you were spectators waiting. for that one. Yeah, yeah, we were like, hey, over here, come talk to us. We want to talk to you. So, um, yeah, I think it probably just depends on the speaker and what they were what they were used to and, and how that was. So I'm sure there was a good mix. And it looked yeah. like it was done really well. Like the stage looked really great, and I, th I thought the production quality looked really great for for the thing. I would love to go next year. After yeah. seeing that, for sure, it looked. Yeah, really I'm fun. a big Scott Kelby fan. He, I think they did an awesome job putting that whole thing together. All the yeah. stuff he does is just fantastic. Yeah. Well, and, and um, Trey Ratcliffe like walked us around a little bit and like said hi to people. I was like, oh, there's so many people there that I didn't expect to see there or be there. So, yeah. um, I think I'd it would definitely be something I'd enjoy next year. Yeah, that, I think mean, that's 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 key because I think. You know, in a lot of ways, I, I don't have any insight into what, you know, Kelby and Google were thinking, but from my own standpoint, is this is a test, right? Let's see if there's some traction, you know, if people are going to come. Do people even care? Are these photographers, can we get them away from their Google Plus computers and into the real world and, and actually interact that way? And it, it, seemed, to, it seemed to work. And, you know, the, the overall flow, like you were saying, Sarah, it seemed... Even behind the scenes, a lot of the things went really, most, mostly everything went really smoothly. You know, I think the disconnect in a lot of ways is because this was new and because we 
you know, we sort of put together this thing, or Google put, put this put this thing together where there's the big hangout on screen and a speaker on stage and a live audience out there. A lot of the speakers just that was new, right? When when have you ever done anything like that? So you you know it. In order, like when we're doing a hangout like this, of course we can connect. I can connect with each one of you because I see you on my screen and I'm just talking to you. We're just having a conversation. But can you imagine if you've been, you know, a celebrated speaker for 30 years or 20 years, and now you're on stage doing your thing again by the numbers as you've been doing, and now you got you got this other aspect of people behind you that you have to interact with, and you're not sure if they can hear you or if they, you know. You don't want to make yeah. a fool out of yourself by addressing or, somebody or them. You know. Or if you'll be able to hear them, those come in the right. thing. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So, yeah, I think I think as Hangouts and Hangouts on Air become more popular, if, you know, I think they're, the, the, the comfort level that people have with them will just continue to increase. I mean, even in my own case, doing the Hangouts on Air for This Week in Photo, my comfort level has gone up and up and up. And I think it's it's almost going up in tandem with Google improving the service because now the service is more reliable and I'm more comfortable. So, you know, I'm just sort of stepping up the stairs. Now, can I can I ask you, was it was it a Scott Kelby production with uh, association with Google kind of thing or was it all Google or who really I, put it on? I, you know, I don't know. <laughs> I don't have any insight into that. I think it was my my thought is that it was a, a um, Google production and RC Concepcion, I know you're watching this. You can comment on this and <laughs> down there. Um, I think it was a Kelby or a Google production that was produced, at least the, the way it was branded, it was produced by Kelby and team. So I don't know how all that worked out in the yeah, end. I, yeah, I think they did an awesome job. Like a couple of years ago, maybe it was three years ago, I went to my first, it was called, it was one of the first uh, YouTube conferences, and that was called VidCon. And uh, it was really kind of weird because, um, you know, Google's involvement, what you could definitely see they were there. There was tons of project managers there. There was, they did lots of speeches and stuff like that. But it was a little bit confusing. It's like, well, who's putting this on? Is it these two guys that are putting it on? Or yeah. is Google putting it on behind the scene? I don't know how much they were helping. So I was kind of, and it was one of those first conferences. The first conferences are cool because you, all those project managers and stuff are there. Mm -hmm. And you really get access to them, and I'm sure this conference was like that too. I, I bet you it was just awesome to be there. Yeah. Um, the only reason I said it was it felt disconnected, I was just, the keynotes that I was watching just felt a little funky how, how they were interacting, but I'm sure it was an awesome conference. Yeah, hey, I just got a, I just got a, a uh, chat from RC. He says they loved the conference, and he wanted to add that this was a, it was a Scott Kelby production with support from Google. So this was a Kelby joint, you know, it wasn't a Google joint. So and I think support nice. from Google means a check from Google. <laughs> a nice supporting check to put this thing on because you guys know how to do this, you know. And that's good. I mean, I, you know, I, I totally applaud them for that. And I think they were the, clearly the right choice to do that because they obviously know how to put on conferences and events, you know, cool events like this for creatives and photographers. So perfect. Kudos to them. And I think it went off well. And I was saying to other folks, I will definitely be there next year, you know hopefully involved in some way. So it's exciting. Sarah, you know, on your side, you know, with this all this hangout stuff that's going on and with with Google well first of all, Google plus Hangouts were here and then they added Hangouts on air and the ability to stream directly to YouTube like we're doing for this show right now. Right. So all this stuff sort of came about, right? Now 
is this impacting anything you're doing on the business side, or are you just sitting kind of waiting for things to stabilize a little bit, then you'll see how it affects your business? Um, I, I don't think it's immediately affecting any anything quite yet. I mean, um, the way that I meet clients currently, we have Skype for video chatting and stuff like that. So I have a lot of clients who are out of town, and that's really the way I see it being used is just connecting with those clients and kind of you can do meetings basically um, without them having to come into town. But it just depends on people's comfort level. Like I'm extremely comfortable with this experience, but it's not necessarily the hands-on, like I can still touch and feel you um, for those people who, it's like the transition from, you know, online proofing from hard proofing, you know, like some people adapted to it really quickly and other people were really resistant to it. So it totally depends on the client. Like some love technology and want and absolutely want to just jump on a Google Plus chat and um and and experience meeting me that way, which yeah. would be great. Yeah. Save, yeah. save yeah, the plane ticket. Yeah, especially as, as as people get more comfortable with using this kind of thing. I mean, people got Skype was getting there, right? People, you still had to school some people. Hey, go to this URL and download this and sign up for Skype and all that. But I think yeah. we're this Hangout stuff is as it gets easier to slide into a lot. It turns out quite a few people have Gmail accounts already, you know, and and as such, they can turn on their their Google Plus account really easily and jump into a Hangout with you. So yeah, really and so many people are using are using Skype now too. That that's become a lot easier to get people through. I mean, I was doing it through iChat, and you know, those are not as many people were using. We're using video chat through iChat, but now there's FaceTime, and there, I mean, there's so many ways to do it. I'm like, pick your poison, it's fine. Yeah. I have it all. Yeah, yeah, well, <laughs> you know, it's, it's, it's getting easier and easier. Now, Dave, on your side, so you, you know, I, I, I was remiss in the beginning of talking about the site and where you came from. So you are the guy that's behind learningdslrvideo.com, right, and which means by default, you better know everything there is to know about, <laughs> about video and learning and all that stuff. So you're going to become the de facto expert on TWIP for that stuff. Well, um, it's really it's really about me learning. It's my everybody's coming journey. along with me. Yeah, it's it's my journey of learning. So I just yeah. picked up my first DSLR two years ago. No, you Which, can't. You can't get behind. I can't that. go there. No, because you, <laughs> if, if if that was the case, you would have said. My journey, my journey learning DSLR video. You said learning. <laughs> learning so. DSLR video. Okay. <laughs> no, no, no. I understand. So let's talk a little bit about that. You know, let's transition out of the Hangout stuff a little bit and talk a little bit about just your site. So why, why did you? And we went over this in the interview um, when I interviewed you. But let's just touch on it a little bit. Why did you build that site? I and mean, there's lots of resources out there right now. And you know, devil's advocate. Sorry, put you on the spot. But there's. There's Lynda.com, there's Video to Brain, there's Kelby Training, there's all these sites out there that, granted, you have to pay for some of them, but they also give away, like on the Kelby side, they do a ton of free stuff. You know, why, why did you throw your hat in the ring and build Learning DSLR Video? Well, originally all I wanted to do is when I bought, I bought my Canon T2i Rebel like two years ago, and I wanted to do some stock photography for my other websites because I have some real estate websites and I wanted to build some links by giving away all my stuff under Creative Commons to create links to my real estate sites, which are really hard to do. Real estate's tough. It's just really hard to do. So I started this uh, 
site mostly because I got the camera and I was looking at the video and I was like, the video is just awesome. It's just incredible. So what I did is I just basically created a quick blog, um, called it Learning DSR Video, and then um, it was kind of a brain dump. So every time I'd learn something, it's like, well, what do, if I try highlight tone priority, what is this thing? Do I turn it on? Do I turn it off? And my thought was at the time, it would be a test and I would throw it up and I needed to go back to it later on, I could figure out what it did because I might forget. But the fact that, you know, when you, you record it, you edit it, you upload it, you watch it once maybe, and it's ingrained in your subconscious. I did, you know, it really, the idea of it didn't work out as well as I thought in terms of going back and using it as a reference, but people started watching it and more people watched it and now I'm up to like, it's crazy. Um, I get like over 300,000 views on YouTube every month. It's just and that's, insane. And that's what our interview was about. So <laughs> it's our just interview insane. was how do you go wow. from zero to 300,000 YouTube videos a month in how long? How many years? Two years. In well, two I've, years. I've, well, I've had the account. Without being for, I, Justine. You know, how do you know? <laughs> It's just, I, you know, it's just, I think people relate to me because I, I'm learning and I'll make, and I make mistakes. I'll make, and it's, it's now it's gotten to the point where if I post a video, I will know like in the first 10, 15 minutes if I made a really big mistake because they'll let me know. Yeah. And it's not only, I mean, it's YouTube and it's Vimeo. I post both places and, um, but YouTube, my audience has gotten so big. Um, it's just amazing. Uh, the feedback you get so quickly. It's just insane. Yeah. yeah. But, um, I, I, you know, it's just about me learning. So I'll, you know, I'm right now I'm in the, the transition of my T2i and I just did a review of the Nikon D800 versus the 5D Mark III. Mm -hmm. And, um, that, re that one has been watched. I just released it a couple of weeks ago. It's been watched like 75,000 times already in the last couple of weeks. And it, it, it hits on a point. I think a lot of people are at like myself who had the T2i or I still have it. It's good. But they want to go to a full frame camera. They've gotten to the point now, like myself, where they've learned a whole bunch of stuff. They're getting better. They, you know, their their video qualities are really going up on each video, and they want to step up to, to better glass. Because one of the things I just reviewed was the. Uh, well, I have a relationship with B and H, so they just they call me and they say, "Dave, what do you want?" I'm like, uh, "I want a Canon 24 to 70, the Sigma 24 to 70, and the Tamron 24 to 70." And then boom. The next day it arrives. Basically. Wait, 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 wait. Just, just to be clear, you have to send that back, right? <laughs> yes. Actually, okay. I, I sent two of them back. I ended up buying one of them because okay. that's what I wanted to do. I, I'm start now starting to build my glass collection or whatever you want to call it, my lens okay. collection, because I'm stepping up to a full frame camera. And I think a lot of people are in the same boat. They've come along with me and they're learning at the same pace. A lot of people say, love your site. I'm kind of right there with you, um, making mistakes along the way. And that's kind of what my site's all about. That's yeah, cool. So just one last one one last question. So you you did the D800 versus the what? What was on the Canon side? The 5D Mark III. The 5D Mark III. So which is better? Well, for me, they're both excellent cameras. The D800. Come on, this, think, is, this is in, no, the, well, in the primary. Come on. No, just, no I'll tell. I I bought. The question, I ended, Mr. President. I I ended up buying the. Um, <laughs> yeah, I'm sweating. No, no. I bought the 5D Mark III because I'm, I would call myself an available light shooter, which basically means I don't know how to light stuff. Yeah. <laughs> so, um, and then like in the, the video I talked about, I was heading out because my girls were going to this 
event. It was on a rope course and it was indoors. And I had the two cameras sitting there. It was towards the end of the evaluation period. And I grabbed the cannon. And the reason I grabbed the cannon is you can push the ISO on that thing so high. And the, the images look just clean. Uh, the video, especially the video. Because I was shooting that whole time from 1600 to 6400. And I brought it back later, and I was just, because I was shooting slow motion, so I was raising my shutter speed to 1 25th of a second, yeah. um, and I was shooting 60 frames per second. And when you bump your shutter speed up there, then everything else has got to go up, like the ISO with it, to, you know, because you know, you're not letting so much light into the sure, lens. Sure. And uh, I was just blown away. But in the, and the Nikon is an awesome camera for dynamic range. It's, it's be way better than the 5D Mark III, but... And, and I like the looks of it, but one thing that I really got hung up on was um, the white balance on the Nikon. I know that sounds really weird, but I'd have two screens side by side. And, and this is in the video, right? Yeah, in the video. I had them side by side. I was doing A, B. I, would, I had a mount for them, and I would just shoot video, both of them at the exact same time. And I would look at what I'm shooting. I would look at the Canon screen, and it visually looked correct, the white balance. Mm -hmm. and, and I, you know, I'd, I'd custom white balance and everything. And then I would have the, the Nikon, and it always had this, like, green tint to it. And I'd always have to go into the white balance shift and go more to a magenta mm -hmm. to get rid of some yeah. of that green. And uh, I, I know what that was. I know what that was. That was, uh, Dave, that was the, um, your eyes are not balanced correctly <laughs> for the... <laughs> For the camera, I just want to say the Nikon's perfect. It's your eyes that are out of well, whack. It, it, right. was it, it was interesting because I went to NAB a few, well, like a month ago, and I went up to the Nikon booth. It was when I first had the camera, and I went up to the gentleman behind the booth. They had a very small presence compared to Canon. Canon had this massive booth, and Nikon had this very small booth. And I walked up to one of the guys and I asked him about it. It's like, oh, our LCD is far superior and it's excellent and it's just something you're seeing. It's nothing. Mm -hmm. And then some other gentleman walked up to me, Steve, I can't remember his last name, Heiner. I can't remember his last name. Don't anyway, he came, get hate mail. <laughs> <laughs> right? well, he, he came up to me. He was very nice. He says, oh, I know you. I've watched your site. Um, and he goes, yeah, we know about the issue and the engineers are looking at it or something and mm, um, mm. so that's all so, I heard. So Sarah you're also a trainer right on the Aperture side you have like some mm -hmm. training titles out on Aperture so I have a I have a hot seat question for you as well. Oh, oh Lord. Um, you know I don't know I have Aperture loaded on my machine you know but it's it's getting a little dusty. When <laughs> where's this update? I mean Lightroom has been update 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 and you know everywhere why what, what's going on? Come on. Um, well <laughs> You know, Apple no, doesn't really today. tell us much. I know that's surprising to you know, and everyone else in the world, but um, but I'm sure there's an update coming. I mean, it, it's got it's got to be coming soon. It's the same way that you're feeling like it should be, there should be an update coming soon. I'm sure there's an update coming soon. So yeah, um, so they, yeah, they I don't know. I'm C-section or something because that baby has been in there way too long. <laughs> Well, when you got something good, I mean, why yeah. mess it up? You know what I'm saying? So you're sticking. <laughs> I take it you're sticking with Aperture. You're not gonna. Oh, yeah. You're not being tempted to come to the light side. No, we absolutely couldn't do what we do in in our studio without Aperture. So there's no temptation at all. I'm mean, I'm fine with what I have now, and um, you know, and more and new enhancements would just be 
just be something nice and new and shiny to play with. It really does pretty much everything that we're looking for it to do currently and just hoping, you know, that maybe there'll be some improvements in speed or, you know, a few things that we definitely would. would You know what you sound like as I listen to you? You, if someone didn't get the beginning of this conversation, you could you could sound almost like you're talking about a spouse. <laughs> <laughs> it would be really nice. You're like, oh, I'm okay with it the He's way it perfect is. Perfect the way it is. You know, we're kind of I like, love him you know, just it's like green. He is. <laughs> I don't want him to ever change. Yeah, yeah. Maybe he uh, could just do the dishes more. Exactly. Get a little faster. You exactly. Know, speed up. Hey. Um, Sarah, so while while I'm talking to you, I want to talk a little bit about um, Facebook. So Mark yeah. Zuckerberg, you know, the the impoverished Mark Zuckerberg, this <laughs> is like Mark Zuckerberg over there. He uh, he and team have launched a new app for the iPhone that is kind of like a Instagram ish application. I don't know. Yeah. <laughs> now I downloaded it, but honestly, it's it's sitting on my iPhone and I haven't played with it yet because. I have Instagram and I have all this other stuff. You know, what do you think about this? Are you using this? And you, you know, I understand the cool thing about it is that you can upload multiple photos to Facebook and make an album, you know, really quickly, which is kind of cool. But I want to be able to do that from other apps. I don't want another app to do that. Yeah, I mean, well, I think it's really neat that Facebook is kind of trying to create the app that that they see other people creating, but it's really funny because um, it looks a lot like Instagram, which is kind of weird, right? I mean, they just purchased Instagram, and you're kind of like, there's no way they got that turned around that quickly. Well, they said it was in development for a while, even before the Instagram acquisition. Right, which is kind of the interesting thing about the story. It's like, okay, well, they were building this whole thing, and um, part of the story, too, it seemed like was... That they were saying too that um, that they didn't have any idea they were building this app and they had no idea that that Mark Zuckerberg um, reportedly like basically didn't tell them that he was kind of thinking about um, buying Instagram so they like basically mm. made their own version of Instagram and then um, and then released it right after he bought it so I think it it kind of feels to me like you know like when Starbucks like launched everywhere and then all of a sudden there'd be like two on one corner like the same Starbucks you know like right across from each other and you're like mm-hmm. wait did two departments not talk to each other and they just right. bought two spots on the same corner and that was pretty much like what was hap- what seemed like was happening and then they ended up shutting those duplicates down yeah. but um, but yeah it kind of feels like one hand wasn't talking to another but uh, I kind of yeah. dig it I mean, it's cool, but again, I have I have Instagram too. So, um, but I did really like that. Not only you could upload multiple photos, but you could also see multiple photos. So, um, it's kind of neat, especially for people like not everyone's on Instagram. But if you're using Instagram or you're uploading photos from face to Facebook specifically or through their iPhone app specifically, then you can see all of them. So, depending on how you use Facebook and how kind of drilled down you want your selection to be, it seems like a really great um, app for just seeing photos. Like maybe you don't want to see all the updates that don't include photos. You only want to see photo updates. This mm-hmm. is a really great way to do it. Yeah, I don't know. Do, you, you know. 
Dave, the, the whole idea of having yet another application on my iPhone, <laughs> it's like, you know, it just makes me want to, like, you know, pull what little hair I have up here out. You know, it's like, okay, I've got Google+, Plus, which I love. I'm increasingly loving Google+, Plus more and more, because it gets better as I get better. And then there's Facebook, and there's Instagram, and then there's Pinterest, and then there's, it just, you know, there have I have two two folders on my iPhone with different apps in there that I that I presumably should be keeping up keeping up with. And what 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 should I do? What I've been thinking what I've been thinking is, you know what, I'm just gonna flush the toilet on everything and focus <laughs> on one. Like just focus on Google Plus only and hopefully they'll open up their API and it'll go to Twitter or something. But I don't know. I, I, da I downloaded it this morning, and I know exactly what you're saying because you, there's different ways to upload. And I love um, sharing photos with my iPhone onto Facebook with my, you know, for my mom and dad, my sisters and brothers, everybody, you know, my friends. Yeah. Because um, I'm more of a visual guy, where my wife will like she'll write out some nice thing in Facebook, and everybody likes it. But for me, I'm more of like I'll post photos. So anything that you can do to make that easier for me, and I used it today, and it was pretty easy, especially the batch part of it, where you're, you know, mm -hmm. putting the green check marks, and then you're uploading it, mm -hmm. that part was really cool, um, I really enjoyed that part of it, the one thing that, you know, I don't, maybe I'm missing, um, and it's probably a really small, quirky thing, and Apple doesn't do it with their app, is sometimes, a lot of times, I'll go back to my photos, like hundreds of photos later, um, previous, and I want to know, what date did I take it on? You know, what time of day was it? Where's the meta information? And still within their app, I'm sure that information's in there somewhere, but you can't see any of the metadata. I uh, wish somebody kind of would do that. I'm, obviously, when you upload it to Facebook, it's going to put It'll all that stuff. It. Yeah, yeah but you, want, you want the tag from the metadata from the, from the actual image, yeah. And, and you can't do any video with it yet. Um, but, again, it's, if you can make my job easier, um, batch loading, upload, you know, that's, it is a pretty cool app. But yeah. yeah, you're right. There's there's just too many. I just got too. I'm just I'm really busy. I just got so much stuff to do, and I you know I I know how these tech companies work. They're like, oh, we're gonna put out this is gonna be the greatest greatest thing in the world, and they're really smart engineers are working on it, and they're putting it out, and then you know it's just like okay, this is really nice, but I gotta figure out something new. It's like another thing. I want I want something to simplify, not add. You know, technology is supposed to make my life simpler, not make it. It, it's for yeah, me. It's kind of like choices. I, I want. I want some some communism in technology. I think. <laughs> we, I think we have to start making some tough choices of like what's better and getting rid of the stuff that's not. But with any new technology, you're kind of you're kind of having to evaluate it and decide whether or not it's something that you are going to find more useful than what you're currently using. Yeah. And that's their big challenge, you but know. See, that's a scary thing though. I mean, cuz I'm a I'm a tech guy and I love technology. I love the latest gadgets and the latest software and all this. But on the other hand, I'm really busy with all these other projects and things that I'm working on. So it's a it's kind of a it's kind of in the middle. It's like, okay, do I do I just turn my brain off completely and ignore everything and then just go peek in every now and then and see what's new and get it or do I keep my finger on the pulse of technology and keep reloading you know, uh, Engadget and all these other sites to see what's new and then go, tr go find the latest nugget that's going to make my life a little bit easier? Yeah. I don't know. That's where I am. Maybe it's, that's the, the old curmudgeon, get-off-my-lawn guy coming out. <laughs> I think we need a good like, old-fashioned conversation about like, all the different camera apps and like which one really does 
the best job. Like, really does everything that we wanted to do. I mean, people want to know that. What's your, what is your go-to that. camera app right now? Before, you know, Facebook notwithstanding, which, what's your go-to camera app? Um, my go-to camera app, if I'm going to take a picture, is still the camera. So just I still just a good old-fashioned camera. I can get to it the quickest, like from the you know from the from the phone. I can just mm -hmm. go to the home screen, take the picture. But then it's like which thing am I, which application am I going to load it into? So I'm still really enjoying Camera Plus for doing adjustments and. Um, for uploading, I think it's going to either be Facebook or Instagram. I mean, Facebook, the the new app looks looks pretty sweet, so I might um, give it a try for a little bit and see how it does with adjustments. I love the quick adjustments in Instagram, though. They're they're pretty they're pretty fun. But okay. um, browsing photos seems like the Facebook one seems pretty good. All right, what about, Dave, Dave, what about you? What, what's your what's your go-to? And I'm after you answer, I'm gonna go look at what people are chiming in and on in the Google Plus page. And well, I've tried Instagram, there. I've tried all bunch, and I always, like Sarah said, I kind of default back to the regular one because when you turn the iPhone on um, or you just press that button and you flick up, um, then your camera's live, and no other app can do that. Correct? I don't know how they would do that, but. To me, I'm ready to go. I'm ready to take a picture. And my kids don't wait for me. <laughs> they yeah. keep going. So I got to be fast. <laughs> yeah. So for you, it's it's because you have kids, it's it's getting into that camera quickly yeah, over having whiz-bang features that are showing rule of thirds and lights and all that other stuff, right? Yeah, and if I want to, I can bring it into one of those apps. But um, I, and I was really amazed um, when I was playing around with it today that those filters, you just tap on them, they were like instant. They were like, they applied that look like instantaneously. It was really, really fast. Yeah. So I think they did a great job. So if you're looking to do a whole bunch of stuff and you batch upload, I think that's the, the, that's the one to use. Yeah, yeah. And, you know, RC in the, in the chat here on my Google Plus profile page mentioned my favorite app and it's camera awesome from the folks over at smug mug it is that's like if if i could rewire it so whenever i click that home screen button to launch the camera i, I would rewire it to launch camera awesome because that is awesome you know, i can't go in, <laughs> it, it, i can't go into all the features in it so just go to go to smug mug and find that or you just go to your uh, go to the app store and find it but it's completely free which yep. blows me away and it blows away a lot of the, the iPhone camera apps that aren't free, you know, and it's just you download it and you're you'll dig into it and you'll see that it's just insanely cool. Um, it, it's got some in-app purchasing in there, like you can buy buy different things like filters and Instagram type looks and different things like that. But it ships with a bunch of them in there already, so you don't even necessarily have to do that if you don't want to. So definitely. I check feel that. like with Camera Awesome, I'm a little confused. I feel like I just need to figure it out a little bit better. I I don't know. I play with it. Okay, so when I'm trying to take a photo with it, um, I get like where the focusing and stuff is. Like that seems pretty easy. But I I can't figure out how to turn filters off <laughs> when I'm not when I don't want them. Like I was taking a picture and everything had like the Lone Star filter on it. I'm like, come on, I don't oh, want yeah. that. I I'm, tell you what, Sarah. Offline, I will uh, give you a camera awesome <laughs> tutorial. <laughs> Please, we can record it and then you can post it somewhere. There you go. There For you all go. the silly little people, I just need it to be like ridiculously intuitive. That's my. I love it. I love it. 
someone who is saying someone in there is saying Snapseed is cool too. Well, but let me Snapseed. read off the the apps that I have loaded right now on my <laughs> iPhone. Wait, I I've have, got a good list let's too. See, I have two folders here: Photo and Photo Two. I've got Photo Gene Two, Tilt Shift Gen, Snapseed, Instagram, Auto Stitch, Filter Storm, Camera Plus. Thanks, Lisa Bettany. Uh, photo Shake, Postagram, Mobile Photos for Flickr access, Shake It Photo in one folder, and in the next folder I've got Shoebox, Pro HDR, Cards from Apple, uh, Photo Safe, Posing App, Slow Shutter, Cinemagram, uh, Camera Awesome's in there, and and my little fun thing is called Action Movie, and that's all I got. Holy cow. That's a lot. <laughs> Did you say photo synth? Did you list yes. that one? Yes. I yeah, I love that one. That's yeah. a new fave of mine. You, what about Photoshop Express? Did you have that one? I haven't played with that yet. I haven't oh. played with it. And I have one more that actually is one of my faves is cross-process. It's just an app that just does cross-process. It's hmm. sweet. Cross-process. Yeah. Huh. yeah. <laughs> a great quick adjustment to images. It's a fun one. Dave, what about you? Um, you know, on the video side, because, again, I, I do a lot of pictures, but I usually use just, I've tried all of the ones that you've mentioned, well, most of the ones you've mentioned, but yeah. on the video side, I found one that's called Filmic Pro um, that's really, um, a really it's like two bucks or three bucks, and you can do different frame rates. You can even, like, well, for one time, I set up a little time lapse, and I just recorded it at one frame a second, and then in oh. post, I sped it up, and I got this really cool kind of time lapse uh, effect. And you can lock off the exposure, um, the white balance, and everything as you're filming. Um, so to, to me, I use that a ton, actually. <laughs> so as a video guy, that's, uh, the, the other question I have for you, as, as you know, it, your primary focus, no pun intended, is video, um, how often do you find yourself just reaching for your iPhone? And is that, is that sometimes good enough, or are you beyond that because you're you know, well, in the... In the it depends. Like when I went to um, NAB, I did not. I, I just wanted to go there to mostly meet people and stuff like that. I didn't want to lug a bunch, a whole bunch of stuff and a monopod and oh, a bunch. Of, oh. So what I did is I just I, I did a video and I, I did it with my iPhone, um, and I just put a whole bunch of clips together and um, I think it came out pretty good because the iPhone it's it. <laughs> It's pretty amazing what it can do. But what do you do for audio? Are you recording? If you do something like that, do you record the audio separately and narrate well, in, it later? Well, in that case, I narrated it, and it was all B-roll. So all the stuff that I talked about was just B-roll. Um, okay. I have done, although I did do one interview with somebody. We were on a uh, a chairlift. We were out skiing one day, and she had a really cool story. So I said, let's let's make a video out of it. So I shot a whole bunch of B-roll, and I did the interview with her on the chairlift. And I just used basically kind of like the microphone on here, um, pretty close to her, <laughs> pretty well. Yeah. Uh, especially in an outdoor situation um, with the video. It, it, it's pretty amazing. Hey, hey, Sarah, in the chat here, RC put some instructions for you on how to operate that feature in Camera Plus. It's very involved. Oh, it's thank very involved. you. It, it, he says press it to turn it on, press it to turn it off. <laughs> ah, that's funny. <laughs> So we're done. Sarah, Sarah's training. That was it. I'm terrible. all. I'm all gonna go. I tried that. Okay, whatever. You, right. you obviously need a full training on on how to use it. <laughs> all right. So I want to move on to the next the next 
topic in uh, the show here. And I just want to quickly touch on this, and it's about Hasselblad. Like we were talking about before, Hasselblad lowered the prices on their medium format bodies. Um, and I'm going to read this verbatim out of our notes here. It says, in, a t in an attempt to make medium formats more affordable and commonplace, Hasselblad is launching a global marketing initiative that will significantly drop the price of many of their cameras, including the entry-level HD4-31. They reduced it by five grand, and the 60-megapixel H4D-60, which they reduced by 8,000, which we didn't put in here is what the prices are now. So <laughs> if you reduced it by eight grand, okay. But the question <laughs> is, what was it before? So we'll we'll look at that. But but the point here is, so is this is this Hasselblad responding to pressure from like say the D800 saying, hey, look at this, uh, they're they're eating up our bottom line market. People aren't really going to sell half of their house to buy a camera. It turns out. So let's uh, let's do something. Is this and is this enough? You know, Dave, I'll throw it to you first. Is this enough from House of Blood, or do they need to retool and put out something really cheap? Oh, I think it's definitely. When I was using the D800, and I was doing some landscape type stuff, and I remember taking this one picture of uh, some kids way up on a hill, and then I brought it into Lightroom and I zoomed in. I was just amazed the level of detail you can get with that 36 megapixel. Uh, sensor. So I think the timing of this, oh yeah, I think they saw that come out and like, what is it, they have the H4D-40, which is their 40 megapixel one. I would imagine they would lower that one too. What's the other one, the 31? The thir I don't, I don't know it that much, yeah. yeah. Right. But I would think they're lowering the 31 price because of the D800 can shoot 36, and I was just amazed what that D800 could do in terms of re resolving power, being able to, you know, zoom in on stuff. And I think I don't know. Is the is the Hasselblad used a lot in commercial work? Is that majority of what people use it for? And yeah, yeah. Need, I mean, that, that, that high I, resolution for I don't have billboards one, and stuff like that. My assumption. Well, I mean, there's two things, right? There's I'm sure more than two, but one of the things is having that much resolution and that much pixel data will allow you to do much more accurate um, and precision retouching if you have to. So if you're shooting models and you have, you know that many pixels to work from, you can zoom in to almost the, you know, the DNA helix level to fix flaws, <laughs> you know, and zoom back out again, like, yep, oh, yep, there you go, let's go back into that, let's go tunnel into that hair follicle and, and fix that, <laughs> fix that flaw that she has, you know, that kind of thing. So that's one of them, is being able to do that. And the other thing that I hear a lot from people about having a lot of uh, pixels, and this one I don't agree with, is so that you can crop it later, you know, so you can... Mm -hmm. You could just go shoot the world with a wide-angle lens, and then later you just go crop out the cool shots. <laughs> I, Decide on composition later. Me, but I don't, I don't understand that logic. Uh, Sarah, would you do that? Would you shoot a whole wedding with a, with a, you know, one of these huge, multi, you know, crazy megapixel cameras, and then crop out the shots you need for your album? Oh yeah, totally. And I'd shoot it with video and just pull out the moments that I want as well. <laughs> That's what Dave's going to do. Dave's going to suggest that. In the future, we'll all be shooting no, the camera. No, no not no. at all. No, no, no. It's that defining I, I, moment. Oh, I, I was looking at your pictures, Sarah, and they're awesome. I was just looking at them on your website. And yeah, there's Aww. no way... You, there's no way you can do that with video. It's you, right. You've got uh, definitely. You're very good at that. Thank you. You're welcome. I th um, I think the Hasselblad. By the way, just I went and looked at the at the pricing online, and if um, B and H pricing is correct, uh, it looks like they're fourteen thousand dollars. 
now? This is the for new the H four D three one. Yeah. Wow. Wow. Hmm. Still not not a cheap camera. I think it's sure. yeah. I'll go buy a Ford Focus. Car camera. Yeah, I know it's. I mean, that, that's tough. I mean, Hasselblads used to be kind of a a standard even in in wedding photography. I mean, Hoss, mm -hmm. if you were a Hasselblad photographer and you were a wedding photographer, you were legit. Like. Yeah. 15 years ago. So well, let's, let's just talk about that a little bit. I want to move on to the next story in a second. We may or may not have time to get into all this, but just the whole idea. And I hear I heard this on another podcast before too. They were talking about how, yeah, sure. They were talking about the, they, they were talking about the D800 and how, yeah, even though you have a camera that can do all this stuff, just for aesthetic reasons, you can't show up to a client's you know, on a job with a DSLR because the client may have that and you can't show up there with a camera that looks like what the client has because you don't differentiate yourself. So you have to show up with all this stuff and entourages and everything in order to justify your date rate, your day rate. Is it, do you think that's true? Are you referring to that video call from the, the camera store, those guys up yes. in uh, Canada? One. Yeah, I yeah. watched that one too and the, the, they were all, all about the skin tones and all that stuff. Yeah, they, love yeah. they love the skin tones. Um, you know, when I heard him say that comment, I was like, oh, really? <laughs> I was like, you shouldn't say that. You, you should know? be able to show with a, I mean, yeah. granted, you're not going to show with an iPhone, you know, to a commercial shoot, but in, in my, you know, albeit I'm not a commercial photographer, I don't work in New York City, so maybe I'm reaching here, but I, it seems like when people hire a creative, they're hiring the creative, and if you show up and you shoot with a, whatever your gear is, that's your process. That's how I get the art that you hired me to do. You didn't hire me to use, to demonstrate to you how to use your gear. You demonstrated to me. You know, you you hired me to to execute the kind yeah, of art. Yeah, because like on the reverse side of that, you could just say, well, I'm just going to buy one of those, and now now I'm in business, and yeah. everybody will respect me for it, which know. a lot of people do, right? <laughs> <laughs> yeah. I don't know. I, I, that comment just kind of rub, rubbed me the wrong way. I was like, you know, like you said, it's you know, it's about the person and their talent versus the equipment that they're using. So yeah, yeah, and people will argue. I've been getting a lot of pushback because my whole thing is I, you know, I don't, I don't, I don't explicitly say gear doesn't matter because gear does matter. Gear lets you do things that you couldn't do 10 years ago, right? Because you have better technology. We're pushing things forward. What I, what I preach is that you shouldn't get mired in buying the next latest and greatest thing if you don't fundamentally understand the art and science of photography yet. You know, so if you don't understand lighting, composition, exposure, and all that stuff, you don't really have, you know, you may have the, the money to buy it, but you don't really, you don't really need to be trying to get more mileage out of some gear that you're not exactly sure how it works yet anyway, you know. So that's what I'm, I'm saying. And, but on the other side, I'm as guilty as anybody as being a gear nut. So I, if... <laughs> If I had, say, I don't know, Scott Bourne money, I would go out and buy every piece of gear out there that became available, too. But, you know, so maybe half of it is just me being pragmatic, and the other half is something else. You know. Sarah, what about you? I mean, if you if you show up to one of your weddings, and, you know, I consider you, like, a, one of the top wedding shooters in the country, and you, you know, and you get paid well to do what you do, and you have a waiting list and all that stuff, so... 
does it matter to you? Because when people like, you know, David just looked at, looked at your work, and he's like, wow, this is stunning stuff. It is. It's really good. Now, if you show up, people have looked at your work, and they know that you know how to do what you do, and you show up with, I don't know, some, you know, a little cheap Canon AE-1 or something. You're like, this is what I use to do all my work. Do you think that would go over? Or do you need to show up looking like a battle-ready wedding photographer? Um, that's a good question. I think that I think that you need to show up with respectable gear, um, and and more so in the case that I can't capture the images that I want to capture if I don't have good quality um, equipment. So my my gear is really important to me and. Um, I shoot with really good lenses and, and a good camera, but I wasn't the first to run out and buy the 5D Mark II. I, I shot on a 5D for probably a year after the camera, at least a year after the camera came out. So um, I think that there's, you know, there's a given, there's a give and take um, where you are really all... You are your own talent, but in order to be able to capture the images that you want to capture and, and also to show up to a wedding, you would not believe how many guests will, um, will come to a wedding with the same gear as you have. Like at high-end weddings, there is always like some uncle who has a 5D Mark II and a 70 to 200 or a 24 to 70, and, and you're he like, wants to stand right next to you, and right? you're like, oh, cool. And if he has a better camera than you have, that's gonna be so. So a you're saying it does matter then? It does yeah. matter if if Uncle Bob shows up with a better camera than you have, and you're charging, you know, whatever amount of money you're charging to do the wedding, then that makes you look bad, or. So it, it's not about the art then, yeah. it's about the well, gear. It's, it's about being a professional. So yeah. if you are an artist and or a, a professional in this manner, like I'm a wedding photographer, so it's a little different in my market um, as opposed to maybe like a fine art photographer. But in, in my market, gear matters for creating the type of images that you're looking to create and the quality of images that you are looking to create. And so I'm always trying to better my gear. So I'll give you an example. I went to, I've had my 70 to 200 that I have now for a really long time. And um, it is not the current version, it's the older version. But I switched to using mostly primes. I, I shoot mostly on primes, but I do have a 70 to 200 for the ceremony. And my girlfriend Pepper came out from Salt Lake City this weekend to shoot my two weddings with me for Memorial Day weekend. And she brought her new 70 to 200 with her. And I ended up grabbing it for, for something because mine wasn't available. And, and then I didn't want to give it back to her. I was like... Oh, it's not that I don't love the 7200. I just don't like my 7200 anymore. <laughs> mm. So, it turns out, you know, that I needed to upgrade my 7200, which I'm doing now. So, I think that, you know, there are limitations with with older technology and gear, and in order for me to do what I want to do and create the images that I want to create, I need to feel like my gear is there to support 
the image that I have in my head that I want to create. Mm -hmm. And if my old 7200 isn't doing it, I need to get a new one. So the same goes for gear. It's like, yes, it's a little bit important to look professional, but mostly it's just important because you need to be able to capture and have the have the confidence of your clients and their friends and family um, by the way that you look, by the way that you dress, by what you wear, by um, like gear-wise, you know, having a nice-looking camera bag, having all of that stuff is really important in the wedding industry. So your image is just as, as important as your images. Yeah, I, and I think, I think the caveat in all of that is in it, it depends on a lot of this depends on like who you are as a photographer. Like for example, Annie Leibovitz, right? Who cares what she shows up with? Her her name is showing up. It's not her and her gear, right? Or you're some other stratospheric photographer. They can show up with whatever they want. But if you're me, for example, I need to show up with my Nikon D3 with a 7200 lens so I can say, hey, yes, I I, I know I bought this, so I'm, I know yeah. I made an investment, so I, I know what I'm doing. But even like Annie Leibovitz is is known for like going over budget with the amount of like even gear that she'll rent or things that she'll bring in for the shoot or whatever. So even though she's not physically dressed the part, she's not a wedding photographer. So n no one in her industry really dresses. Right, yeah, two different industries. You know, yeah. yeah, the part. So I think even with her, I mean, she would never show up without the right gear and without the best stuff that she knows is going to allow her to create the image. So yeah. I, don't, I don't think it really, I think it really can go across, you know, every kind of photography, just depending on what kind of photography you're in and what is considered professional in that part of the industry. Yeah. Like if I, if you show up in a suit and, you know, looking all schnazzy to like a National Geographic shoot, of course you're going to, they're going to think you're an idiot. Like mm -hmm. that doesn't, that doesn't match the, uh, the demographic of, of what you're not properly prepared for your shoot if you are not dressed properly to, to handle it or have the right gear. So yeah, you got to look the part, and part of looking the part is wearing the right shoes, pants, shirt, and having the the right gear that says all that together is a I'm I'm a professional. I know what I'm doing. And then yeah. you know, like Dave was saying, you also have to produce the work at the end. So you have to not only look the part, but also be able to to play the part as well. Interesting. Now, yeah. Dave, what about you? You know, so you're you're you you know on your site learning DSLR video, or you should rebrand that to I'm learning DSLR. <laughs> So on, on your site, um, you've tested a lot of gear, right? You've played with a lot of, you know, from from consumer all the way up through Uber Pro, right? So what, as much as you can summarize the consumer level gear, when I look at the, the range of gear, like when I just did an interview with the, with uh, Chuck Westfall at Canon, and we were talking about the range of gear that they have out available right now, and the way I see it is it's tracking like this, right? So the gear... 10 years ago that was state-of-the-art, 10D, right, the Canon 10D or whatever, that was state-of-the-art and this is, you know, you're going to spin an arm and a leg and you're a pro if you buy this camera, right, that was state-of-the-art. Now, you know, people, that's gathering dust in people's closets right now and the, the, the new one is the one that you need to define yourself with. So the question to you is, looking at the, like, kind of an entry-level, taking an entry-level hat and looking at, okay, 
hey, I'm a photographer. I just want to get into this stuff. I need to throw my hat in the ring. I don't want to spend an arm and a leg, but I still want to make great images that I'm proud to share online. What am I sacrificing other than low light, right? What, right. what am I, low light sensitivity? What am I sacrificing if I say, you know, low light's not in it, and I'm, I'm just going to be a daytime landscape photographer? What am I sacrificing? Well, you know, I, I don't know if I can really talk on the um, the still side, but in terms of video, I've done a lot of comparisons between like the T2i, which is like $500, versus you know the 5D Mark II or Mark Mark III. And besides the low light, it was really interesting because I have I'm working on a video right now I haven't released yet, but it compares my $500 camera to the the, the 5D Mark III. And I did a corporate interview recently where I had two cameras on the um, the CEO, and one was kind of a far shot and one was kind of close in and I shot them on a green screen so you're taking away the um, bokeh whatever effect mm -hmm. you get up from a full frame versus a crop sensor and I'm cutting between the two of them and after I color graded them and matched them and they already matched pretty well I mean like you cannot tell the difference they yeah. were so close I mean they were and, and so in certain situations on the video side you can get incredible results from like a $500 camera. And I think you're right, they're kind of tracking because now that the Mark III has come out, the, the T4i, whatever is going to come out um, mm -hmm. after it, um, I, that's probably going to track up too. It's probably going to have better low noise performance and all that good stuff. Yeah. So th does that kind of answer your question? Yeah, I mean, yeah. yeah, it does. I mean, the, I guess there's... the, the the advice I give to people when they say, hey, well, I'm, I'm thinking about getting into photography, which camera should I buy? Which is, it's always that question, right? And my answer is always, how much money do you have to spend? <laughs> you know, and then you work from there. You know, your budget is $2,000. You're going to be able to jump in a different depth of water than you could if your budget is $500, right? So it, it all just depends. Hey, guys, I want to take a couple of these questions that are coming in on the Google Plus page. Um, one of them is targeted at you, Sarah. It's from James Billing. He says, hey, Sarah, what do you wear to a, a wedding? I started off wearing, a, wearing suit pants, but soon realized after a couple of weddings the knees got pretty worn out. Now I just wear jeans and a nice shirt. Is that cool? And no tie. Um, yeah, I was actually just responding on, on the site, typing it back. But I... Um, I absolutely think it's really important that you try to look as much like a guest as you can. Um, the wedding on Sunday, there was a guest wearing like black jeans, and the bride specifically was like, "Hey, can you put that guy in the back? I don't want his photo. I don't want him in the photos." <laughs> like that was a guest. So can you I think if, him out? yeah, I think if she's that concerned about the guest, she's definitely going to be concerned about the photographer showing up like that. Um, I have shot with several guys and helped them with finding uh, the right attire for wedding so I can tell you that at Express they have really great pants that are stretchy so they're easy to shoot in yeah they're <laughs> easy to shoot in and they even have a photographer pant um, at Express yeah and they're really they're really good for guys so that and like a nice button-down um, that's tapered somewhat just to make it easy I with men I suggest that they leave their shirts untucked um, it, it makes it easier when you're just squatting down and all the stuff instead of looking all untucked and um, and pulled apart at the end of the night you might as well start off untucked so um, and a nice 
nice belt, nice shoes. Um, you don't necessarily have to go with a tie. It, it, you know, I, I don't really know many wedding male wedding photographers who are wearing ties, just nice button down. Um, and a jacket in case you need to need to throw the jacket on for um, a more formal affair or if it's a little chilly. So that's what I suggest for guys when they're dressing. Um, we also, I tell all my assistants this too, no crack, wear black. It's kind of our motto. So just make sure that your pants are flexible and um, that you're not embarrassing yourself by, you know, the positions yeah, yeah, bending over. Pants, pants, non-flexible black pants that rip when you have yeah. underwear on could be a bad scene. And keep an extra pair of slacks if you're really concerned about it, which, you know, it's not a bad idea ever. Keep a that pair of a slacks in your in in your car just or in you case. Or you get a full change of clothes in case something gets spilled on you, right? Yeah, you're, I mean, absolutely. Did you, You've seen the YouTube of the guy falling into the into the pond. I mean, what did he do then, you know? Yeah, yeah, I mean, pretty bad. But still, um, I, I think it is really important that you dress the part when you go to a wedding. Um, people are always looking. I, you know, you always hear horror stories about photographers from weddings. I hear them all the time still, you know, like how they dressed, if they drank in a, you know, had alcohol is always a big stick, is always a big thing. No yeah. matter what your clients say, it's not cool. Yeah. I'm just yeah. saying. Yeah, it's, never it's drink it's at the wedding. Yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Even if you're and never hang out when, you, when it's finally don't when drink at the wedding. Yeah. So that would be my suggestion. I hope that helps. That is. That, that helps a lot. I'm available so one of my suggestions, as a personal shopper as well. One of my suggestions <laughs> that I've learned, um, and I've, I've only shot a couple of weddings, and what I've learned from shooting those weddings is that it is a good idea to have power bars in your bag with you because you don't know when you're going to get a chance to eat and... If you don't eat, it affects your creativity a lot. And you're like, you know what? I don't have any energy to run over there. They could do that bouquet toss without me. I'll just shoot it from over here with a long, with a long lens. Whereas if you had some calories in you, you you know, you get your butt up and run over there. So power bars in the bag or something to munch on to keep your blood sugar levels at an adequate level. Now, Dave, are you have you done any weddings on video on the video side of the house? Oh gosh, no. <laughs> no, I yeah, I'm I'm I've just started doing a few corporate videos, so my that's what's helping me pay for all my expensive toys. So, yeah. Very cool. Somebody right. posted a link to that video I was talking about on the comments, by the way. <laughs> the guy that. falling yeah, in the in the pond. They did. It's in there already. They're on top of things our listeners are. Yes, they are. Yes, they are. All right, guys, we are... Man, look at that. The hour went by that quickly. Oh, we man. Half of the show. We're going to have to push it a little bit because there's a lot of... There's some... We def, we have to do the picks of the week and we got to get all this stuff in or else I will get hate mail. So we have to, we have to run through this. Um, we're, the feature discussion that we were going to go into, we're probably going to do that in a, either a, another Hangout or like a, a Hangout-only session or a future version of This Week in Photo. So we'll save that. We were going to talk about um, how the, the social media collective got together and smacked down a photographer for blatantly stealing another photographer's work. Um, so that was an interesting topic, but we're going to into, go into it later so that we don't go into marathon time here. So before we continue the show, this is where we're going to insert an interview from a... A friend of mine, Don Komarechka, he's out of Canada, 
and he is a guy that's made his claim to fame. Uh, he does a lot of photography, different kinds of photography, but the way that I became uh, connected with him is through his macro photography. I saw some of his work, and he, I think he may have con con contacted me through Google+, and you know, I was blown away by just how he does what he does when he photographs his snowflakes, and he has some pretty proprietary, not proprietary, but unique ways that he shares to capture images of uh, macro images of snowflakes that turns out anybody can do with uh, you know one trip to Walgreens. So check it out. This is Don Komarechka. I'm here with Mr. Don Komarechka. He's a professional photographer and he specializes in nature and macro photography. Now Don is based up in Barrie, Ontario, the uh, the United States neighbors to the north there. And he and I connected on Google Plus a little while ago and decided that it might be a good idea to just have a quick discussion about this stuff because it looks like he might have some interesting insight into macro photography and just sort of how you get into some of these niche-level photography genres like macro and extra-spectrum photography using fisheye lenses and that sort of stuff. And then as well as how do you do it? without having a big roll of cash in your pocket. So, Don, welcome to This Week in Photo. Thank you very much, Frederick. All right. Um, so you are up in Ontario or Barrie, Ontario, in, in the city of Barrie, right? That's the, that's the name of the town? Yeah, that's correct. It's about an hour north of Toronto. Very cool. Okay, so you know, I, I typically like to start with asking people how they got started in photography, but I'm going to jump past that, and I'm gonna, I want to dive right into macro photography in Perfect. general. So you, you're a professional photographer, right? Which means, I am, yes. Which means you, you derive your income from taking pictures and making images for people, correct? I try to, yeah. <laughs> well, you're, you, you at least make enough money to keep your internet connection going. So. And to put bread on the table. Yeah, keep the lights on, electricity going. Uh, so tell me about that. So first of all, like from, a, from a business perspective, how is it? Is it I mean, how, do, how do you phrase that? Are you happy being a professional photographer on the monetary side? Is it, is it, is it all that you hoped it would be in terms of you know, fame and fortune? Not with fame and fortune. Uh, well, you know, it, it's funny because, you know, the famous quote, you know, if you love what you do, you never work a day in your life. Um, and when I'm doing this type of photography, it's not the most profitable area when it comes to photography. If you're doing portraiture and if you're doing weddings and that kind of thing, uh, that's a, a far more commercialized um, uh, area uh, that's a bit more stable uh, when it comes to being a professional photographer. Uh, going into the nature and the landscape and the macro realm of things, you're competing with all the people that are doing it for free. And that becomes a little bit of an extra challenge because you, uh, you now have to try and convince people that your work is worth paying for where everybody else is just giving away, in some cases, equal or better, better work. So there's a definite challenge there. Uh, rising above that, and uh, like I, I've uh, been writing for Outdoor Photography Canada uh, since their winter issue, and there's a couple of other things where you can sort of expand in and, and become a little bit more professional and, uh, and have the revenue streams coming in. Um, is, is, that most of my, is that the key, diversification of income? So if you say oh, absolutely. Yeah, you cannot depend on any one thing. You're, you're like every time you click, it's like, you know, a cash register, ka-chinging, right? You're, you're doing multiple things. You're writing, you're shooting, and, you know, and promoting yourself like this, right? Exactly. Skills as a writer are huge. 
huge. Uh, and if my uh, I think my high school English teacher knew that I was a you know a published writer, she would just faint right about now. Um, but uh, but you know it's 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 come a long way since then. And um, just being able to diversify, like I, I've done anything and everything from uh, somebody calls me up to do an event shoot. You know, I'm not going to say no to that because that's a revenue stream that can help me do what I'm more passionate about. Um, and that is specifically looking at the world that you really can't see with your own eyes. That's my passion. Yeah. So let's talk about that, looking at the world that you can't see with your own eyes. So, uh, and before we get into that, because that's, that's the thing that I want to dive into is macro photography, because I'm, I'm actually going on a workshop to specifically for that with Derek Story next week. So this nice. is my way of cheating. <laughs> so, <laughs> so don't tell Derek I said that. Uh, but, you know, before we jump into that, so marketing-wise, how do you how are you getting paid for your photography or people just getting on the phone and saying, Hey, you know what? I need some photos of a snowflake or I need some photos of water dripping off of a, you know, a flower petal that I can see reflections in it. Where do, where does the revenue come from? That has happened. Uh, however, I've also gotten the exact same comments where somebody will send me that they've, they've created a full mock-up of like a postcard and it's got a picture of one of water droplet refraction images on there. And they said that we really want to use this image. It was, it was like some sort of Buddhist temple uh, in the U.S. And they said, we absolutely love it. We've created the mock-up, but we're not going to pay you. We just want your permission. And and so <laughs> that, that's a huge obstacle to overcome because my answer is no. Right. Uh, and and it, I'll, I'll come back with a price that they can't refuse and then they'll simply say that they have no budget for it. So there, there are certain obstacles that you have to overcome even when they do approach you. Um, occasionally I found um, like one case was the, the journal Nature Structural and Molecular Biology uh, used one of my images on their December, I think, 2011 uh, issue that they had taken off of iStock Photo. So I got like $3 for a cover shot. And, and that kind of bugs me a little bit too yeah. when it's sort of happening uh, outside of my own control. Uh, but occasionally people will say, well, we need this exact type of flower. And you know, a, a, a flower store uh, got in touch with me recently and said, we need this type of flower in a refraction. We need this type of setup. And can you do it? And it really doesn't matter how much it costs. And that's the kind of calls that I like to get. How do you, how do you feel about iStock and those sorts of businesses? Are are you is it part of your upload regimen is it you go out and you do a shoot and you got a bunch of images and you take a set and you put them on iStock or do you shy away very rarely and it's hard for me to get into because typically i don't photograph people and the lifestyle type of images the ones that of course have people you know interacting or that you know can relate to on a human level are the ones that sell best on stock agencies and uh, I don't do that. So when I come up with special images that, uh, you know, whether it be a, a snowflake or whether it be uh, any type of wildlife, there's a very good chance that an image that's almost the same as mine is already up there. And if you don't have the human expression element to that, something that is very similar will do. So it's it's a very difficult thing to get into, especially at this stage in the game. So I've primarily avoided it, especially because the revenue that's generated um, from you know iStock Photo or similar agencies is, is very small. Yeah, yeah. So then, okay. So you shy away from that stuff, and you're you're specifically targeting nature and macro photography. Take me through a day in the life on on a shoot. So you going out? What like? from a high level, I know you can't go into all the gear, but what are you taking with you and how do you self-assign and how does all that stuff come together? Summer or winter? Uh, let's say winter. Okay. Uh, well then everything is right here and I take about two steps out of the back door of my house. 
and <laughs> so I chose poorly, right? <laughs> um, but you know, I, I'd like to establish that as well, um, because in the winter time, there's not a whole lot to photograph in in the macro realm, uh, unless you're doing it indoors, and you can stop at the florist and you can do a lot of uh, a lot of that type of stuff in a studio setup. But the winter time photography for me is mostly snowflakes, and uh, and that's something that I've uh, developed a bit of a niche in, and um, it, it's been uh, it's been quite uh, profitable and uh, and just a, a beautiful thing for me to do. I'm fascinated by it. So how do you, so okay? How do you take a picture of a snowflake? That that's uh, I mean, it sounds simple. It's like okay, you take a picture of a snowflake, but it's a snowflake. It's gone. <laughs> yeah. Well, here I, I've actually you say it's gone, but I've got one right here to show you. Um, it's uh, for those listening. This is a snowflake on a microscope slide that has a diameter of about six millimeters. Look at that. Wow. Okay. And so for, to see this, definitely check out the, this video on YouTube because that's where it will be hosted. <laughs> and it's incredibly small. Uh, the biggest snowflake that I've photographed is about 8 millimeters or so in size, and they get much, much smaller than that. How, so, is, that, how is that snowflake on that slide? Uh, I'm trying to wrap my brain around it. It's, it's frozen water. How is it on that slide? Uh, well, that's an interesting process uh, that I was first introduced to from an episode of The Big Bang Theory. Oh, Nice. And uh, I, w- one of the characters in that show gives a snowflake as a gift and mentions that it's preserved in polyvinyl acetal resin. So I go and I look that up, and it's a, a sort of a laboratory compound, sort of a scientific thing. And uh, I bought some uh, from a, a supply company. And uh, all you have to do is put a drop of that on the snowflake when it's sitting on like, like on that surface of microscope slide. And uh, let it sit for about 24 hours, and you've got yourself a preserved snowflake. You don't have to go all scientific with that. You can just go and get any run-of-the-mill superglue. But superglue will freeze uh, at temperatures just below freezing. So it's kind of difficult to get it to work where this stuff will freeze at like minus 40. So you can just put it on the snowflake. It's liquid, but it's colder than minus zero uh, or colder than freezing. And, And then that'll get you to preserve the snowflake. It'll just encase it in resin. But Don, how are, I, I just have visions of you running out in your backyard with a slide and in super glue in the other hand, capturing snowflakes and putting drops on them. Is that how it goes or is it something more? Yeah, you know, there's nothing much more complicated than that. But that's not how I photograph them. That's just how I, I would preserve them. And then typically I'll do that after I've done the, the photography on it just so that I can have it. And I've done some framed prints where I've got the actual snowflake preserved um, in the frame with the, the, the print. And that's kind of a cool thing to do. So but when I'm like photographing... So you a little macro studio set up in, the, in your yard or outside wherever you're doing this photography to... To okay, you got one, and you bring it in, and you do the photography really quick, and then you preserve it and put it off to the side and rinse and repeat. Is that how it goes? Yes, but it's far simpler than that. Um, I let the snowflakes fall onto a homemade black mitten, and the the mitten uh, will allow the snowflakes to sort of get caught in the fibers of it, yeah. and that prevents the uh, the snowflake from melting. Uh, it gives me a dark background, which has a lot of contrast, so that the snowflake will re- really glow against it. And it lifts it away from the background, so that I don't have any distraction in the background around the snowflake. So it is as simple as waiting for the snowflake to fall onto this black mitten, and then hunting around and finding it with the camera. Um, I love that. That is so cool. It, it, it's sort of low-tech, but it's also the same level of difficulty as having a super telephoto lens and trying to find a bird flying around in the sky on a completely blue sky without any landmarks as where things are. 
And that can be sort of difficult to even find your subject at that point. Uh, but once you found it, the, the next challenge becomes trying to get it in focus. Because when you're dealing with macro photography, anything on a very small scale like that, you have a huge problem getting a great depth of field. The closer you get to a subject, uh, the shallower your depth of field will get at any given settings. So it becomes a challenge for macro photographers to have that, that focus, you know, that crisp corner-to-corner sharpness on your subject. And if you try and bring your aperture as absolutely small as it will go, then you hit certain you know, problems like diffraction limiting where the entire image will start to get soft and you won't have the sharpness that you want. And you'll still not get the, the depth of field that you're looking for. So uh, in a lot of my images, you'll find that they are focus stacked, in which case I will take uh, anywhere between, say, 60 and 70 images of a snowflake sort of going through the focus back and forth. And then I might use, say, 15 to 30 of them uh, on a typical image. And what I'm doing is I'm taking the little tiny sliver of focus on that image and I'm combining it with the other slivers of focus. And that will hopefully at the end of the process result in a complete in-focused image after everything is all said and done. Wonderful. Wonderful. Now, are you using, using CS4 uh, to do that, right? Or, or CS5? Or- yeah, I'm using Photoshop. Yeah. Now, there are dedicated programs specifically for focus stacking. And if I was like in sort of like a, uh, a studio type of setup, then they would work marvelously. But what I'm doing is completely handheld. So things don't line up exactly the way they should, and Photoshop is far better at correcting that than any of the other programs. Auto-align layers, right? Auto-align, and then, so what I do is I'll bring in all the layers from Lightroom, and uh, you can just choose all of the separate images from Lightroom after you've done the basic processing, and you can choose um, import as layers into Photoshop. And then I auto-align, and then here's the real trick is I will then duplicate the layers and auto-blend one set of them and then combine that together because Photoshop will goof up. The edges will never match because this is handheld and it's not as accurate as it should be. And especially if there's transparency, say if there's one snowflake on top of another, um, you can see through one into the other. And the auto-blend in Photoshop for focus stacking doesn't work around the high-contrast edges as well as it should. So I take that to the bottom of the stack make everything except for that invisible. And then I go through one by one and I mask in the areas that Photoshop should have chosen. And the entire process will take typically around three hours for a detailed snowflake, but I can get a simple one off in about an hour. Wow. Okay, and what are you, what are you using hardware-wise? What are you shooting with? I heard Lightroom in there, so that's post-processing pre-Photoshop image stacking. What's, right, what's right. On the, uh, what's on the hardware side? I heard you say no tripod, so handheld. What's the body? What's the lens? I'll show you here. Uh, just one second. Here we have a 5D Mark II, and uh, this is attached with Canon's MPE 65mm lens. And this is a fairly specialized lens because it will allow you to take macro photos much closer than a regular macro lens will. Um, this starts at one-to-one life size, whereas the regular macro lens will get as close as one-to-one life size. And uh, I... I <laughs> Frederick, do you know what one-to-one life size means? Uh, Tell me. Okay. Well, most people don't really understand uh, because it's sort of an archaic term uh, in in today's age. I'm assuming assuming it means like um, probably most people would say one-to-one life size means that the lens is giving you basically what your eye would see, right? That's that's my assumption is what what you're 
like a 50 millimeter lens is representing the world on a on a full frame sensor is representing the world generally speaking as the average human eye would see it anything below that is wider anything smaller than or longer than that is telephoto so right tell me how and and this sort of (laughs) flies in the face of that uh but i thought the same thing as you when i started to get into this um with macro photography, one-to-one life size means if, if I take a photograph of a coin, like a, a, a nickel uh, or, or a quarter, at one-to-one life size, and it, the analogy works better if I'm using a film camera for this, and then I take that negative after it's developed, and I take that quarter and I put it on the negative, and it fits exactly. Gotcha. Okay. Yeah, that so does work it's, better with it's film. Sitting, yeah, it's sitting on the sensor the exact same size as it in reality is. Okay. And and that's sort of one-to-one life size, and that's sort of the definition behind it. But when I'm dealing with um, with macro photography, that's not close enough to get into snowflakes because a uh, a one or two millimeter snowflake in size is not going to sit very big on my sensor, and it's not going to fill up my frame. Right. So this lens will allow me to dial it in from one-to-one life size all the way to to five-to-one. So it, it has what's effectively built-in extension tubes. And that allows me to get far, far closer to my subject than a regular macro lens would. Now, you can take a regular macro lens and add extension tubes to it and uh, possibly even close-up filters. And you can get as close as you need to. Um, But for things like snowflakes, and uh, I've taken photographs of pollen and other very small things, uh, the closer the better. And you can't get too close. And what lens was that again? Just so I can make sure we get that in the show notes. Of course, that's uh, Canon's MPE 65mm macro photo lens and it's probably the most difficult lens to use in canon's lineup because it doesn't focus there is no focus on that lens whatsoever you're, if you want to focus focusing you, by moving backwards and forward right exactly you focus by moving the camera itself and um when i talk about diffraction limiting on this lens if i if i have this uh camera at uh, f16 mm-hmm. and i have the lens dialed into five to one that's the equivalent of f96 uh, so you have very little light coming in, but you also have an extremely soft image overall. And, and that's no good for anything. So you have to, like when I'm doing these photographs, if I'm saying using a four to one or a five to one magnification, then I'm going to be setting the camera to F 4.5 or F five. And, and that's going to get me the clarity that I need to make the final result. Now, how do you how do you determine that 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 f four point five or f five are the optimal apertures to get the the crispest image? There's a conversion chart in the manual that comes with the lens that really doesn't follow any real math that I can figure out uh, as far as figuring out exactly you know what multiplies to to get what. But at f four point five, at those um, uh, at those magnifications, will get me to be about f sixteen or f twenty two, and it's still clear enough for me to get a good shot. Okay, so let's talk. Let's zoom out a little bit, you know, to use <laughs> to use a, <laughs> a pun, a macro photography pun. But um, what what is it that that excites you about the world of macro photography? Why macro? Why not portraits? Why not models? Why not landscapes? Well, it, it sort of goes back to a question that you skipped at the beginning about why I'm a photographer. Yeah, and uh, I'm sort of science minded when it comes to a lot of this stuff, and and I love. The, the curiosities of the world. And, you know, as a child, I was always asking why and doing all sorts of weird science experiments and uh, never owned a camera. 
I, in fact, I only bought my first camera a couple of years ago. So I'm, I'm new to photography, but I've always been a passionate sort of closet scientist. And those two have meshed together very nicely. And just looking at the world that, that I see with my own eyes, I, I know that perception is reality, uh, and that can be uh, explored in many ways. But when it comes to the world that you can physically see, that's not the world that, you know, an, an insect can see. And that's not, you know... Uh, grizzly bear can see or or any type of other creature and exploring a tiny tiny world that normally just i guess it's biology i guess it's evolution i'm not sure exactly i'd have to talk to a a real scientist to figure it out but we're supposed to ignore that stuff because it's of no consequence to our survival you know from a pure you know survival type of mentality there's no point in looking at a snowflake until it's the size of a dinner plate and then it becomes interesting and, and so that's sort of where my fascination comes in and looking at the world through, uh, you know, infrared photography or ultraviolet photography and seeing how, you know, other things in the world, uh, you know, can, can see, you know, the same flower will look radically different in ultraviolet or somebody's face will look completely bizarre in infrared, uh, look almost like a vampire. Yeah. But, you know, th- that's the kind of cool stuff that, you know, it's just interesting because I'm expanding what I see in the world into, you know, what the world uh, can now become. Now, okay, so... Looking at it from that standpoint of, okay, looking at things from a different perspective and expanding what you can see, what what is the next expansion for you? So we're looking at snowflakes now as a, you know, as, as one way to peer into a microcosm of the world that most people rarely venture into or if ever. What's next for Don? Are, there, are you going to continue on the trek of, of snowflake hunting or are you going to go look at something else that's microscopic? Well, the snowflakes are gone for the season, but I'm always experimenting with more, you know, interesting things. And uh, I've I've been a closet computer geek for a long time, and uh, as a um, as a byproduct of that, I have a drawer full of old computer processors. And just like a couple of days ago, here, let's see if I can find it. I um, I took a hammer to an old computer chip, and in here is two processors. And you'd be amazed at how cool those are because they just refract light like rainbows. And it's just a beautiful thing to hold and, and to take pictures of. Uh, I hope I don't violate any, you know, copyrights by photographing an integrated circuit like that. But it's, uh, uh, yeah, just fun bits of the world that uh, are sort of hidden from you. And that crazy? Uh, I mean, that, that is just fantastic. Because, you know, I, I talked to several photographers who, you know, they're in all corners of the world, you know, taking photos of anything that you can possibly imagine on these exotic trips, taking photos of melting polar ice caps or, you know, uh, grizzly bears over here, you know, all this stuff. And you're able to stay right where you're sitting and explore inner space, right? With your camera. Exactly. That's, that's awesome. Have you ever considered exploring inner space like somewhere else, like, okay, I'm going to go to Madagascar and photograph macro photography of, you know, some, some strange insect or something over there. I would love to, but I would be so distracted by all the other beautiful wildlife around me, all the birds and, you know, the bigger creatures. And I'd have to get tired of that <laughs> before I delved into uh, the, the smaller world there. Yeah. Yeah. You have to absorb the, the larger world before you can start seeing, seeing a little bit deeper, right? Exactly. Yeah. And, you know, it, it's funny when I talk about macro photography, um, you know, I've got a, this lens that I have is not a cheap lens. It's one of the more expensive lenses that you can get. How much is but it? I, 
Uh, in Canada, it's about thirteen hundred. I think you can get it for just over a thousand or just under a thousand, depending on where you shop in the U.S. Um, but it requires a flash to use, and so I, I, I'll typically use a ring flash or an off-camera flash. And you're looking at an investment of maybe another five hundred dollars when you uh, when, when you jump into there. So the lens itself is only part of that equation. I like to recommend, like if you if you've got an interest in it, at least if you like that tiny world. Take your 50 lens, which I hope everybody owns, and flip it around. Just hold it in front of your camera backwards, and that'll make a pretty good macro lens, uh, all things considered. And you can uh, search around on eBay for about $5 and get a little adapter that'll couple it that way uh, so that you don't have to hold it. But exploring the world of, of macro photography is a very easy thing to do. It doesn't cost a whole lot. Now, have you, have you, it sounds like, well, you said in the beginning that you, you've written articles. So have you written articles on specifically on macro photography or any books or anything that people can? Yes. And, and uh, well, I encourage everybody to check out uh, Outdoor Photography Canada, the winter uh, issue that's just passed. And, uh, and that will be, you know, you'll see a big snowflake on the cover and that's mine. Uh, and in there is a whole detailed uh, description of, of how you do it and, and uh, you know, all the little tips and tricks in there. So check that out. Um, but beyond that, it's, I don't know, it's more about how to find something interesting uh, w- on any scale, really. You know, composition is is a wonderful thing in photography that is completely unrelated to the way that we see the world as well. You know, if you look at the world with your own eyes, you'll see like a, a million things in a minute. Uh, like your eye will jump around to different focus points and you'll only see one thing in an instant, but you can see many, many things over a very short period of time. But the camera, on the other hand, will see everything in an instant. And that when you look at that image, when it comes back to you, it turns into something completely different than what you saw with your own eyes. And it's sort of the, the whole, you know, I, I wish I, I, you know, I, I wish you were there to see it. You know, you had to be there to sort of capture this moment. And if you have to say that about a photograph, that's the difference between how you saw it and the camera saw it. And studying that and understanding how a camera works versus how your own eyes work is, is a wonderful thing to explore, too. That's wonderful. That's wonderful. Okay, so I want to be respectful of your time, so I won't keep you too much longer. But where where are these images that people – we're going to put some in the blog post for this this interview on thisweekinphoto.com. But where can people go if they just want to see what you're talking about here and see the product of Don and that amazing lens that you have? <laughs> Product of the lens, yes, not the photographer. <laughs> uh, it's all the gear. It's just that camera. All you need is a camera and that lens. They can do it, right? Yeah. Of course. Yeah, that's all you need. Yeah. Um, if you check out doncom.ca, uh, D-O-N-K-O-M.ca, you'll find a lot of my images, and everything is linked from there, too. Wonderful. Don, thanks for uh, letting me bite into your day and, and binge your ear about this stuff today. It's been very educational. You know, I hate, I hate having these kind of interviews sometimes because it's like, okay, now – I'm inspired to go do something else, which means less time. <laughs> I need like 48-hour days or something. It's so much cool stuff in photography. Well, I'll, I'll be spending some time up in the Yukon later this year, and uh, and that'll be pretty much daylight all time. So I, I'm excited for that. No photography. Yeah, who needs sleep, right? Just bring lots of coffee. Exactly. Cool. Thanks a lot, Don. You're welcome. You can learn more about Don by visiting his website and his various social networking presences. And also just uh, check the show notes for this show to uh, find the links to click directly over to his work. And also we'll embed some of those fantastic snowflake images directly into the blog post for this episode of This Week in Photo. 
All right, guys, uh, it is time for a nod to our sponsor. This episode of This Week in Photo is brought to you by Carbonite Online Backup, their automatic and secure backup for your home and small business computers, computer files, and they start at only 59 bucks a year. The interesting thing about these online services, you may have noticed there's lots of cloud-based services that are coming up that basically put a hard put a folder on your computer, you drag stuff into it, and it's in the cloud like Dropbox, etc. But where Carbonite comes in is it's automatic online and offsite. So you once you set it up, the folders or even your entire drive that you specify gets pumped up to the cloud. And if something catastrophic happens, like you know someone breaks into your house, something happens to your house, your computer goes up in flames or whatever. Your stuff is always safely in the cloud, and it's continually backing up. So it's not like, okay, every night at 6 p.m. or every day at 6 p.m., the files get put up there. It's continually and automatically backing up. And they've got over 1 million customers right now that are using the service. Like I said, they've got plans that start at $59 a year. And the cool, one of the cool things is you can access these the backed up files privately on any computer, your smartphone, your iPad, etc., with a free app. So you can definitely check that stuff out. Um, so check them out. They're Carbonite.com, and with the offer code TWIP, that's our initials, TWIP, you'll get two bonus months for free if you decide to buy it. Let's use the offer code TWIP at Carbonite.com. All right, guys, it is time for the pick of the week. And remember, your pick can be anything as long as it is somehow even tangentially related to photography. Dave, you are the new kid on the block, so I'm going to throw it to you first. What is your pick of the week? I got to, like I said earlier, I got to review the Canon, the Sigma, and the Tamron, um, 2470, 2.8. And for me, I, and I, it was really cool as I went with uh, my friend, uh, James Drake. He had uh, <clears throat> a Red Epic rental company. He deals with some really nice glass. So I was like, come help me out, do a review. And so we went around uh, Denver shooting some Skyline pictures and some stuff. And I, I brought him into Lightroom to see, you know, judging sharpness. And we, we did a whole bunch of series of tests. Um, and I got to shoot with this lens for the last few days. And I got to tell you, the the Tamron for video is exceptional because of the VC, which I think it's called vibration compensation mm -hmm. on the Tamron side. And uh, I did a video where, and I showed um, <clears throat> comparing like the Canon versus Tamron in terms of the image stabilization, and it's just it's awesome. And in terms of sharpness, yeah, it's not perfect. It's not up to the Canon standards, it, it, but it's not, oh, it's so close. It, um, but the Sigma, like at 2.8, at 70 millimeters, I think it was, both the center and the uh, edge of the frame was pretty smeary and, and, and not hmm. very clear, um, whereas the Tamron um, was, keep, was keeping right up with the, the Canon. In some cases, Tamron won, um, like a F16, or I think it was F8, or, and they're all pretty very similar in the, the F16, F8. Um, range, and then the, actually the Sigma one in the F22 range. But in terms of if you're doing video, and I would think if, if you're even doing weddings, um, and you're doing kind of um, photography and stills, mm -hmm. I mean stills and video, um, this is definitely one to consider because it's really it's it's it keeps up with the Canon pretty well. And what are, what are we looking at in terms of price difference? 
Uh, this it, it's actually if you're looking at the series one because I only got the series one Canon because the series two is like twenty three hundred dollars I think the series one Canon is sixteen hundred dollars Tamron is thirteen hundred dollars and the Sigma is nine hundred dollars. Hmm. So that's that's my pick of the week if you're doing both video and stills. Um, that's I think that's the twenty four to seventy to half. And you're you're happy with that? So in other words, if you if so say one of those companies, you know, Tamron, Sigma, Canon, each one of them said, we're going to give you a lens. Which lens would you ask for? I, like, yeah, I just, I just bought it. I, this, is, this is one I bought. So I, you would go with Tamron even if you could get the other ones for free? Yeah. And, and now, okay. here's the caveat. If you're a wedding shooter and all you do is strictly photos, then I'd probably go with the Canon because Canon won quite a few times. Because there's no clear winner because sometimes... One will be better at you know 24 versus one will be better at 70 millimeters. It's it's all over the place. Yeah. But um, for the most part, um, yeah, Tamron is pretty pretty nice. Okay. And who knows? I, I didn't review the uh, the Mark II or whatever version of the Canon um, at this point because I don't think it's really quite out yet. Maybe it's out, but I didn't get. Yeah, a you did. To review you it. did a comprehensive review of of your pick of the week on your site, right? Yeah. Yeah, okay. so you can watch the you can watch the, all the comparisons on that. Is website. that at the front page? Like if I go to learningdslrvideo.com, yeah, it'll be right one now, of the, I'll find it. Yeah, it's one of the first ones. I did it like a uh, like four days ago or something like that. Okay, cool. Yeah, so people watching this definitely check that out after the hangout's over, not right now. <laughs> and check it out. Um, okay, cool. That was your pick of the week, Sarah France. What is your pick? Sarah so France. my pick of the oh, week. Sat, I'm here. Um, my pick of the week is uh, a new thing that we've been implementing over the last couple of weeks, which is a combination. It's client sites, basically, that we've created for all of our clients. And um, we did it using ShowIt, um, which is a software that allows you to create websites yourself. And a combination of that and Past Premiere, which are by the same people. It's called Pass, but the site is Past Premiere. And these sites are so cool. Like, it's just been so amazing to see how we can build something from scratch to create it for our clients. Um, I think you might, I may have talked about this on a previous twit, but we were really challenged with all the different places we were sending clients to see their and enjoy their images, like Facebook and our blog and the video that we created that's a slideshow. And, um, and their images that they can, you know, that they can go and place orders and having it on Pictage and all these different places. So these new client sites are really amazing. And um, I'm going to put a link to one of the client sites if you want to check out what we've actually done for our clients. But um, like one of our clients is actually Jessica and Andrew. So we did jessicaandandrew.sarahfrance.com is their client site. And you can just take a look. We haven't posted their wedding yet. We have just posted their engagement. We just shot their wedding a couple days ago um, or on Saturday at the Ritz. So their wedding will be up there pretty soon. But you get an idea of what the client site looks like, at least in the beginning, and we add on to it when we get their wedding and stuff. But um, they're what's just that, what's that URL really again? fun. So it's Jessica and Andrew. Mm-hmm. Dot .sarahfrance.com, all lowercase. Got it. 
And um, yeah, so it's got our branding. It looks just like my website pretty much as a kind of consistency feel to it. And um, I'd love any feedback, by the way, if you guys have any suggestions. These are new for us, so uh, we're implementing things here and there. But um, we're just really excited to be offering something new and exciting to our clients. I mean, I know other people have been doing client sites for a while, but I think um, this is something that I was really hesitant to do because I thought it would be really hard. And then I started to try and do it with, a, with WordPress. Uh, and that was really hard and not that pretty. So um, with Show It and with basically um, Show It Sites is what we're using and the back end of Pass, which is allowing them to see their images. So Frederick, it looks like you might be looking at it. So if you click on Gallery, you can actually see their engagement photos there in high res. Um, also, if they go to this site from their iPhone or their iPad, they can see the images there as well in a really pretty interaction um, that they can share the photos. And they can also post them straight onto Facebook from here, um, favorite them, and all that kind of stuff. So. I'm really excited about the new technology and my clients and vendors and everybody is really, really loving it. So, yeah. That's very cool. That's right. my pick of the week. All right. That's a good pick of the week. Thanks. All right. Um, my pick of the week, I've titled in the notes here, Lights, Camera, Action. And, you know, people may have noticed I've been doing quite a few hangouts <laughs> over the last couple of weeks. Um, and doing them, I've learned a couple things about what lighting to use, what webcam to use and what mic to use. So on the lighting side, and I'll link to all this stuff in the show notes so you don't have to remember it if you don't want to, but I will tell you anyway. Um, the lighting that I found that I just ordered, I don't have it yet, but I should have it in a couple days, it's called the Lowell Eagle Lights. And these are really cheap, um, complex, compact fluorescent driven light enclosures that you essentially just put on either side of your computer and you might even be able to get away with one, depending on how your room is, is adjusted. But these are cool. It's a, there's a set that I'm linking to in the show notes. It's for 270 bucks, and you get the two lights. You get, the, you know, of course, the, the bulbs that go in them, the enclosures, the uh, stands for these things to sit on. And then they just cast this really bright, soft light that's continuous. It just sits there. So definitely check that out. They're called Lowell, L-O-W-E-L-L. Ego, as in id, lights, and they're 270 bucks. And then on the camera side, I'd recommend the Logitech 910. Uh, the Logitech 910. Now, Logitech has a 920 out, but you don't need to spend the money on that because the 910 is just as good for what you're going to use. And you're not pr probably not going to use all the bells and whistles that they try to stick in there because Hangouts generally have everything you need to do everything you need there anyway. You're not going to be using their software. You just need a really good HD camera. And this is an HD camera, so definitely check it, check that out. It's the Logitech 910, not the 920, and it's uh, 72 bucks. Unless you can get, you know, unless the price comes down on the 920, then you just get that. But you could do just fine with the 910. And then finally, um, on the mic side. Now this is pricey. It's the uh, it's this mic that I'm using right now. Actually, I switched from my normally I have this big mic sitting in front of me, but I wanted to sort of simplify for a lot of reasons and one of the main reasons is I need to move my hands when I talk I don't want the mic sitting there and I want to be able to move me around you know when I'm doing things and have the mic stationary on my face I didn't want to have a headset that just showed you know made me look like I'm a tech support worker or something so I didn't want to have that so my choice was 
this thing. And this came highly recommended from a lot of people. This is a Countryman E6 mic. This is the same mic that they that the presenters on the stage at TED use. I mean, this is like the de facto speaker mic, but it's not cheap, as you might imagine. It's 450 bucks for this little piece of technology <laughs> that sits on my head right here. But you know, theoretically, or I'm told, I only have to buy it once unless I, you know, go jogging with it or something. So all this stuff together comes in just shy of 800 bucks. So just shy of 800 bucks, and you have a pretty, you have pretty much a state of the art of what you can do in terms of getting a really good video look online. And I, on the notes, I put this isn't really expensive because, yeah, 800 bucks seems like it's really expensive, but considering that the trajectory of this online video stuff and how more and more people are doing this and more and more people will continue to jump on this doing not only Google Plus Hangouts but also Skype and you know FaceTime and all that stuff video is becoming really really important and what I've learned over the past several months even is that people are you becoming cognizant even of what the room looks like like I'm cognizant of the fact that I'm in my guest room you can see the mirror back there you know something about okay when I do this stuff, a lot of people are going to be watching it, so I need to figure out how my room looks. I need to make sure I sound right. I make sure I look my best, all this stuff. So it's becoming an investment. It's almost like that 800 bucks is like, okay, would you go outside dressed like a bomb, you know, when you could afford not to? So I would definitely, you know, suggest upgrading. If you haven't upgraded, look at this list of stuff that I buy and kind of use this as like a benchmark of, if you can get it, then get it. If not, you can get by with stuff and you'll look really good. But, you know, this is kind of like um, kind of setting the bar. On I that. love those picks, Frederick. That's awesome. It's good stuff. It's I good think stuff. people yeah, have a hard time figuring out what they need. <laughs> yeah. I, I just don't think people have a hard time figuring out what they need. Even me, I'm like, ooh, sweet. Those, I mean, they're called ego lights. I don't know how I feel about buying ego lights, but I think um, they they can be great. I mean, the sun's going down here, and it's getting darker, and my room temperature is yep. changing quite a bit as we talk. So, um, yeah, those are great picks. Just to have Thank everything you. set up to make this stuff, like we were talking about in the beginning, just to have this stuff on the go, especially if you're in business for yourself, and this your computer becomes more and more your waiting room or your portal to your customer, you need to look your best, and you need it to work right and be good every time. You don't want to be like, okay, I'm sorry, but let me let me move this lamp a little closer to me so you can see me. You know, it's just like Sarah, just like you were talking about with the camera that you show up mm -hmm. to the wedding with. It's exactly. a similar kind of thing. You know, if you can't afford to to maintain decent bandwidth by a decent computer and you know go that way, then how are you gonna? Why should I be paying you sixty grand to do my wedding? You know, kind of thing. Yeah. So. I don't know. So, you know, uh, Dave, on your side, what are you using before we before we close the show off? Like in terms of headset, oh. mic, lighting, all that stuff. Uh, right now, I'm using um, Rode Video Mic, which is very popular, very very popular in the um, video. It's an older one. Um, say say it what it is again, because as you were showing it, the <laughs> mic was not picking up your mouth. <laughs> it's it's a, it's an actual shotgun mic, so it's actually out of the frame. Um, it's called the Rode R O D E. I think it's out I of think Australia. Zorin just just put that in the chat there. So thanks, Zorin. A video mic, and then I just got a, a kind of a cheap softbox. Um, I got a reflector right here. I'm actually having a LED light back there, so I just threw it up. Wait, listen, listen, I love how you just like. <laughs> wow. Of, you know, I just got a main yeah. light and a fill and. Well, 
well, your producer was like, your producer was like, you might need some more lights, and like, because when we did that <laughs> test, I was like, all right. So yeah. I just brought some stuff out of the for the little the studio that I got my base. Now all we need for you is a little bit of powder. I and know it's really sh- girl to like come in, <laughs> do some lashes for you. <laughs> I'm surprised that we didn't see like a little makeup artist pop in and like you know. Right. Oh wait, this is an audio show. I keep forgetting. (laughs) Sarah, what's that? What's that mic you got going on over there? It's. Hold on. Let me talk in it while I while I show. It's a it's a Sennheiser. 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 Isn't that right? Yep. Um, E835. And I've just got a kind of USB connector thing to it. That's the piece I really need to get that um, I hear makes the sound amazing. It's going to make me sound like really, really sexy and raspy in something, maybe. I'm hoping. Sarah, when you I get it. sound that way. You don't need a mic to do that. You can, you can be talking through your headset, your iPhone headset. <laughs> you sound sexy. You're good. <laughs> I want one of those things that you have now. Thanks. Putting oh, it on my is? list of things i got to buy. You know what? This is going when I do talks. This is going with me. It comes with a little case. You know, it's it's. This is like the real deal. So much easier. Yeah. I mean, I when I'm trying to do a podcast and I'm on the road, I'm like, yeah, I'm gonna pack my gigantic microphone and yep. stand and stuff. Yeah, that's pretty sweet. Yeah, you gotta get one of these. Yeah. All right, guys. We are at the end of another episode of this week in photo. Dave Dugdale. Where can people go to find out more about you and the thing you're working on? Uh, LearningDSLRVideo.com. I've got all my like Facebook, Twitter, and all that goodness um, listed on the sidebar. I think, yeah, it's on the sidebar. So. And you're yeah. gonna you're gonna post a tutorial there of how to go from zero to three hundred thousand YouTube <laughs> viewers. Oh, wait, are those? Is it three hundred thousand views or is it subscribers? No, I have twenty three uh, thousand subscribers and I get three hundred and thirty thousand views a month. Yeah, I know. It's insane. It's insane. I, I'm blown away. It's like Seinfeld levels. That's just that's crazy. Wow. Wow. Congratulations on that. Hey, thanks. All right. Sarah France, where can people go to find out more about you? Um, you can go to sarahfrance.com. It's always a great place to start. But I'm on Facebook, and I'm on Twitter, and I'm on Google+, Plus, and I'm pretty much anywhere you can find people on there. Awesome. Or you Sarah can just Google France. me. Just go- and that's <laughs> S-A-R-A France, right? Yes, no age in France, just like the country, not the language, the country. <laughs> I love it. That's cool. Right. And uh, Dave, I just want to say that Dave, you have the coolest name, and okay. your site looks amazing. Dave, hey, thank you. And Thanks. it's so easy to say and rolls off the tongue. So congrats on that. Hey, thanks. Uh, I, I'm I, I'm looking at your site right now, and I, I'm amazed. You got this one shot of uh, I think it's Yosemite with the. Um, they're getting married, and there's a big waterfall right behind them. It's just yeah. awesome. That's just yeah. that is really cool. It was fun wedding. Sarah knows what she's doing. Good job. <laughs> All right, guys. Well, thank you, um, and listeners. Thanks to everybody in the hangout as well for for sticking through this and on YouTube. And listeners on the podcast, if you want to keep up with everything in the This Week in Photo universe, you can just check us out on thisweekinphoto.com. Also, please support the show by leaving us a comment on iTunes. We read each and every one of those. And also, speaking of iTunes, be sure to check out the TWIP podcast app. It's a handy way to keep up with our shows as soon as they are released. And finally... If you're looking for me, Frederick Van Johnson, you can find me and my various projects at frederickvan.com. And with that, 
it is time to take that lens cap off. This Week in Photo is a PixelCore.tv production. Produced by Suzanne Llewellyn. With technical producers John Riley and Alutha Jamakar.